good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Chat. My name is Michael Zalavari, and joining me today is Chris Washer97. Chris, good afternoon, good morning for you. Yeah, my weird sleeping schedule actually worked out for, uh, for, for once this time. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, local time here in the wonderful western Michigan. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's it's race day for WBC Spa as we're recording this. It's going to be, if, as we saw already this weekend, which we'll touch on earlier, it's going to be an exciting one. But we got some... Uh, we got some things we need to clean up first. We've got a lot to catch up on. It's crazy what happens when you have four uh, endurance racing events in three weeks, isn't it? It's just everything. <laughs> exactly. It's just uh, so, so good. It has been a glut of motor racing in this April month. So we have on your agenda, uh, WEC Portimao wrap and ELMS Barcelona wrap, talking about the IMSA, uh, the IMSA competition race in Long Beach, the 100-minute race supporting the IndyCar there. And of course, we're going to discuss what happened yesterday in qualifying for the Spa Franco Sharps six hours, which will be the last hit out before Le Mans. Because it's already that time of year. It's already we're talking about Lamar. It's kind of nuts. So we've got plenty to get through. We're going to go as hard and fast as we can because we don't have long before the Spa race starts. And this needs to get uploaded. So, Chris, straight into it. WEC, Portimao. What a race. What a race it was at in all parts of the field. It, it was absolutely a fantastic race. I know people were kind of salty that Toyota. Like, during like the first couple laps, it seemed like the Ferraris were, were keeping up their pace with them. Then the Toyota kind of screamed off into the distance, which, which we'll talk about what happened to the, uh, I believe, the seven Toyota later. But yeah, in all of the classes, except especially the hypercar midfield, it was just exceptional racing. Like I don't think there was like really any moments of dullness. It seems like any chance that if anything subsided, a, a battle somewhere else just immediately picked up. So I, I this was best race of the season so far. Uh, that's a very, you know, I mean, we got spa coming up, so that'll yeah. probably, you know, who, who knows how long that spot will last, but yeah, very exciting race. I think this definitely showed uh, a very great promise in the season this year. Absolutely. And we had, for a moment, we had Ferrari battling Toyota. We had Ferrari battling Porsche. We had Cadillac battling Porsche. We had Porsche battling Ferrari. Uh, we had Glickenhaus battling Peugeot and Glickenhaus battling Vanwall for a while. There was, there was action aplenty in the midfield of Hypercar. And the, the, something that really struck out to me was the Hypercar reliability. We saw for the first time all of the hypercars run into issues. So not every single one, but each team had something go wrong with their cars. So let's nut out into this straight away. Um, Toyota, their problem with the number seven was that they had a dreaded FIA mandated uh, a torque sensor on one corner of the car fail, um, which basically meant that the FIA wasn't reading data from their their sensor, which uh, is part of the regulations of the the series. And so, as a result, they had to bring that car in. Uh, what are your thoughts on that whole sequence of events? Well, I mean, rules are rules. I mean, I know some people are kind of peeved that even though, like, mechanically the car was fine, the car was still able to pr- uh, prove pace. Like it was fine, it was just a you know an FIA mandated thing that had no uh, no relation or what should I say detriment to the performance of the car that made them go in the, made them go in the box. It wasn't just a quick fix too. I think they had to tear out like the entire rear end. Yeah, they put and, a new uh, quarter on the car. Yeah, they had to they had to, they had to go pretty deep. So it wasn't just a quick fix, but uh, 
Yeah, I, I know. I, I it rules are rules. It added, I'd say, a little bit more spice to the race than maybe it would have if it haven't had to happen. Uh, I do think they did in a, uh, put up a fix to to that though, so that way stuff like that doesn't happen again. I think they put backup sensors or so, something along the lines of that. Yeah, but nonetheless, uh, there was a solution put in place, so in theory, this should never happen again. Well, I mean, it's not the first time that Toyota have dealt with an FIA part failing and dropping them out of the race. I mean, I think the the more uh, the more tragic of uh, Toyota's Le Mans stories was the 2014 race where they were leading and in a very good position and had an FIA uh, wiring loom fail on uh, and melt on. I think it was Nakajima's car, uh, which like stranded them at an arch they couldn't get the car back and that was it that they were done and, and that was in the middle of the night and they were in a box in the box seat to win that race as well so it's not the first time and it's not the first time this year that we've had mm-hmm. uh official regulated parts fail i mean think about the bathurst 12 hour with the the data modem on the the group m racing car right and even this year in the wec maybe not fia mandated but there's a, a tv camera uh mishap that Got the I can't remember which United it was, but at Sebring it took one of the Uniteds out of the race. So yes. this is definitely not new. Uh, it has it has happened before. It's just a shame that that it, it. But it's a shame when it does happen. Yeah, it's when you've got uh, reliability turned to reliability problems turned to maximum on your iRacing or whatever. Um, so that was Toyota's trouble. Uh, we also saw because of the hot conditions, the tire wear, and uh, the the heavy braking of Port Mel. We saw two brake failures um the first and the dramatic the more dramatic one was the uh, brake failure for the floyd van roll racing number four uh vanderwell 680 uh with i believe it was jacks villeneuve at the wheel through turn i think 10 or 11 uh where the car just like the the brake just burst into flames did not retard the car at all and it sent it backwards into the gravel trap um and then as well we saw a failure for the brake the front right brake on the Ferrari as well, the Ferrari uh, 499P, uh, I think the 51 Ferrari. So not ideal uh, for either of those cars. Uh, do you think that's a worry for for those two cars? I'll have to wait and see. I mean, Sebring was also, uh, if I remember correctly, pretty hot. And I don't remember seeing any uh, brake issues with the store. I mean, Vanwell ran without... Well, with an asterisk to get ran without too much of a problem with brakes. Same with, uh, I don't believe Ferrari had any issues with them as, uh, as well. Mm. So I, I would want to see, wait and see if this turns out that this is a more than a one-time thing. It could have been just been, oh, it was like really, really hot. Uh, Spa, we definitely, definitely won't see the same controlled conditions. So we're not going to, you know, I don't wager we're going to see the same problems. Loma, middle of June, potentially. I don't think it'll get as hot in those as uh, you know, deep south uh, Portugal. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so I, I I think this might be just this might just be a a one off thing. Yeah. Well, you think you think about Portimao as a track as well. It is a, a track that has a lot of heavy braking, uh, high intensity braking, very very close together. There's not really a chance, like for example at Spa, where you've got the Camel Straight and then you've got the run from No Name into Pool, and then you've got the run down through Blanchemont, where you've got time for the brakes to really cool down back down. You're really hammering that brake pedal a lot of the time. So it might just be, yeah, as you said, a one off because of the conditions of this specific circuit. Um, in saying that though. Those brake failures are terrifying. Like uh, it was, it was so lucky that neither of them happened at turn one because 
Can you imagine if they had a brake failure at turn one? Oh, oh that, 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 that's terrifying. And especially when you give the context of what happened on Friday, mm. where a practice session for the support race of Porsche Sprint Challenge Iberica, um, a car had a, I, I presume, brake failure. I think that was the main uh, consensus reached online. Where it, there's like video of it. It's very, it's not clear video, but from an amateur uh, view of things. But yeah, the car just went so fast into the gravel trap, it most likely caught air and it actually went into the stands. Mm. So imagine that, but with a much faster car and lighter much as heavier. well. Is, is is it lighter? Uh, I think, well, compared to a Carrera Cup car, I think an LMH is, what, 900 kilos? And a Carrera Cup car would probably be, like, 1.1 ton? Oh, well. Maybe? E- even, e- well, even then, in the, in the circumstances, I don't think that, that's not going to really matter too much when, you know, the, the end result is potentially car in the, in the stands. Yeah. At or- that point, the weight doesn't matter. But, uh, yeah, so... That's a whole discussion in itself, which we could possibly have about, you know, the safety of turn one or whatever. Mm. But the but the discussion was about with the brake failure that we had. The, and yeah, the Vandal one was especially terrifying because you saw the black smoke just billow out of the front. And, and luckily, there's lots and lots of uh, a runoff there where he, where in the end, where he made that impact, it wasn't, you know, too hard. Mm. But yeah, very terrifying stuff. Yeah, uh, so no result for Van Mull out of that one. Uh, the number 51 did manage to limp its way home three laps down um, from the lead and finish in sixth place. The Toyota, by the way, uh, they won the race and finished ninth, so the last of the hypercars. Uh, and then we had the, the little bit of the mid-pack, the Porsche and the... So what was Porsche's issue with the uh, the second of the 963s? They dropped... Uh, they were the last class- classified finisher with the number five car. I can't remember off the top of my head what the issue was. Uh, I can't remember either. They, I know they had to go into the garage. Um, but yeah, uh, Petsky uh, and if uh, going forward a little bit, they have been having a little bit of problems on the Friday or Thursday at Spa as well. Mm. So some some gremlins from Portugal, Portugal coming to, towards Spa potentially. Uh, and the 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 Peugeots, well, one of the Peugeots didn't even make it out onto the grid. Uh, they were changing a steering rack because of a power steering pump failure, uh, and didn't make the car out into the grid. So they immediately started the lap down. Um, but the other, but otherwise, they ran mostly clean. I think this is probably Peugeot's best race so far. It it was, and um, I can't remember what exactly they were changing, but the car did make it uh, for a pit lane start, and both them like. I don't remember anything where, like, I could point to it, like, oh, Peugeot again. Yeah. Like, they were not fast. Like, they were not fast for their counterparts, but not, they, they, their goal was reached. They reached a end of the race without any reliability problems. Mm. Um, and no issue with the new gearbox that, either. Exactly. And when you have, when you had others having problems, like, you know, Vanwall, uh, Porsche, Ferrari. And when they, when they, exactly, when they stood out against the heat, according to all these other teams, that's uh, that's very, very good signs of improvement. Hopefully, Spa can be even more signs of improvement. Uh, they, we'll talk about the qualifying results later on, but uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see and see if the if the results uh, if they uh, get compounded. 
Um, so just an update of uh, the Porsche. They both cars actually had power steering issues. The number six had right, one, yep. yeah, had one that just was kind of consistent. Um, but the other one had to come into the garage and, and fix it because it was the breaking down the electronics, which was a pain. Um, and then finally, Cadillac uh, finished fourth in that race. They were looking very, very strong in the early part of the race, but a, a moment for Richard Westbrook coming into the pits basically t- pulled their strategy apart, turned it on its head. Uh, they, it was coming into the pits behind one of the Peugeots, locked up all four wheels, put a massive flat spot on all of them, and then they didn't change the tyres in, in, uh, in the pit stop. Now, I don't know about you, Chris, but... I wouldn't want to be on four flat spotted tires when I'm jumping into a car that's doing a double stint. Uh, that's a big miss. Yeah, I, I uh, what like like you said, their game plan was to probably double stint those tires. Maybe, uh, but like they were, I can't. I think they might have been behind a Peugeot, mm. and they had Westy had to pump on the brakes and lock up those tires real hard. Um, and yeah. And, they got out there without changing the tires, and you can hear you know the radio from the Cadillac team like, yeah, these tires aren't going to make it to the end, so they had to, you know, uproot their strategy a little bit. But still, fourth from that is a really impressive result. They showed some real pace that weekend. So quickly, Chris, before we talk about the other classes, what do you reckon the the hypercar balance of power is balance of power the the hypercar hierarchy is at the moment? So clearly, like Toyota first, right, and then where what next? I still peg uh, Ferrari a second. Yeah. Uh, then after that, I I would say it's Cadillac, Porsche, Peugeot, Glickenhaus, Fanwall. Okay, cool. So, uh, do you reckon with Cadillac having the the additional car coming for Le Mans that they might be pushing for a, a podium place or in the top five? Oh, absolutely. I think they are not trying to you know put the cart before the horse here. You know, talking about sp- putting spa results in the in the forefront here. It's definitely a possibility. I think Cadillac is, uh, as of now, it looks like the better of the LMDHs. Okay. I at least in WEC, and uh, I think it's a very definite possibility that Cadillac will uh, challenge for at least the podium. Ooh, exciting! Exciting times. Um, let's talk about LMP2 now. And LMP2 for for me in my rewatch kind of got lost a little bit in the wash. It was very hard to keep track of where everything was at the the mid part of the mm-hmm. race, but. All of the cars in LMP2, except for the number 34 inter-Europol competition car and the number 35 uh, Alpine and the Vector Sport car that was many, many laps down, finished on the same lap. So that's, let me let me count this out here. That's uh, eight cars on the same lap uh, within, within a few seconds of each other. That's pretty impressive. And I know that this is a spec series and they're all running Oracle or whatever. Still, with all the different quality of drivers in the cars, that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, even I, I did get lost in the saucer, you know, with with the trying to um, keep track of the strategies and whatnot. But yeah, um, towards the end of the race, we had a little bit of hype. I believe the sixty three was leading, which is the Dorian pin car. But then the, uh, the as the pit stops played out, it uh, led to the uh, I can't remember which United it was, but it was the Guido Vandergaard car, the twenty three, um, yes, ended, and that ended up taking taking the victory there, uh, which I believe Guido was a last minute call-up for that team? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. It was because um, the driver, one of the drivers was racing in the IMSA race. It was... Um, ooh, Felipe who, Albuquerque? Yes, that would be right. He was driving uh, the GTP for the Acura A7 uh, ARX 
six. Um, so Gita got a, got a call up and did pretty well in the end. And if you haven't watched the WC Full Access race uh, uh, from uh, Portimao, I do recommend it specifically for shining a bit of light on LMP2 because it really showed how tense the end of the LMP2 race was. Because while it was United Autosports versus United Autosports, Oliver Jarvis had no... Uh, radio communication in that car at all through that entire stint and mm-hmm. they were fuel saving they were running through a fuel number so every single lap Jarvis was getting a fuel number over the side of the wall on the pit board and having to run his lap times to that number with absolutely no clue what else was going on so at the end of the race it was 0.6 of a second between the two United Autosports cars but like he had no idea what was going on so like fair play to Jarvis that's an incredible result after doing that with, with no communication for a stint yeah it, it's, it's it's absolutely crazy i mean i remember it, it sort of the lines were i think it was nascar at pocono where ryan blaney was racing with the wood brothers and they lost radio communication like halfway through the race and just think of all the things that can go wrong without radio communication you pit at the wrong time uh mistakes like there's no communication at all. And Ryan Blaney ended up winning that race. So that's what re- what reminded me of was, was when that 23 took the checkered. Mm. It was it was incredible. So definitely check out WC Full Access um, to, to get a bit of a deeper look at that. Uh, so it was the two United World Sports cars from Team WRT uh, who finished in third place uh, with Andrade, Kubica, and Delatraz in that car. Um, we'll skip down to, uh, to GT because I think... The ACO have done one of, have made one of the best decisions with GTM, and that is, uh, the bronze qualifying, uh, because it has turned what is very often a bit of a, uh, lackluster, you know, pro run, who really cares qualifying session into a great exhibition of the best of the bronze drivers uh taking taking it on and what we've gotten out of it is some incredible qualifying sessions and probably the most wholesome rivalry in the WEC uh you must be very happy with how Ben Keating's been doing in the the Corvette this season Chris oh absolutely and it it, it, it really it, it, I, I don't want to think about it uh, at, you know towards the end of the year because it'll be his last season at least in GT cars because he expressed the uh, inter- not, not he's expressed non-interest in racing GT3s. He doesn't like the ABS attached to them Aww. at all. So uh, looks like LMP2 is from him from from here on out. From here on out, but yeah, very wholesome rivalry. Like you said, it's the Bovey versus Keating uh, showdown every single qualifying session, and and when they go to the race, it's just full on clean racing. Like I don't remember. I'd like off the top of my head, I don't remember any like dumb moves. Or stupid moments like everyone seems to have your have their head on a swivel, and the racing has been absolutely fantastic. Like well, like we saw at the very end between what was it, Rivera and uh, uh, and Nikki Katzberg. Katzberg, yeah, yeah. Uh, like again, we we were talking about like the the LMP two battle going down to less than a second at the end. The GTE and battle at the end of the race, point two six of a second quarter of a second and it was like yeah Katzberg holding on for dear life against Rivera and that was uh quite an important result uh for for Katzberg in that one uh because I think that's Corvette's racing do they win in Sebring as well uh they they did win in Sebring uh it was it's uh they're two for two this year 
So keeping up a, a good record. Uh, a very interesting uh, podium in a GTE AM because we had four women on a GTE AM podium, on a WEC podium, uh, with uh, the Iron Dames coming in third with Bovi Gatting and Rahel Frey. And of course, the number 83 uh, AF Corsa car that finished second, a Rivera sharing that car with Lilo Wadu and Luis Perez Compagnac. So uh, a wonderful to see uh, women getting opportunities in sports cars and actually living up to those opportunities as well. It is brilliant to see the, such representation on the podium. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 it really speaks volumes that even in LMP2, which was, I mean, let's be honest, LMP2 was like the, one of the most competitive classes in the World Endurance Championship still is. And she, she's still getting up on the podium. And that's a, that's all stuff. That just shows the amount of talent, how deeply rooted their excellent their their skills are uh, regarding sports car endurance racing. And as well, I think it shows the quality of the opportunities that you can have in sports car racing, which I don't think exists in many other series outside of that. Like you think of um, you know F two and F three, you really need to be in the right sort of car to have a have a proper chance. Even even in supercars, when we had Simona Di Silvestro running a few seasons in the Nissan, she wasn't it wasn't really a a car that was in the challenge for victories, despite you know regardless of Simona's skill in the car. So it's good to see that in sports cars you can have these opportunities and do well. Um, so yeah, wonderful to see in GTM. Um. The the bronze qualifying session, I, I kind of touched on that at the start and saying that I thought it was a wonderful idea. What, what do you think? Do you do you enjoy the bronze qualifying sessions? I think it's excellent. Uh, if we want to see pros qualify, we already have Hypercar and LMP2. Um, I, I so I think this is excellent. It really puts in the emphasis of the of the of the AM driver being involved in the race, uh, like like it should for an AM class. Um, another acceptable alternative would be like you know like a. Wow, uh, what was that? A combined mm. like lap or eat, but but that's that's but if we're gonna be honest here, that's we're, if the w, WC is you know it's a FIA World Championship they're trying to attain new viewers, uh, so that's probably a way too complicated and only for us sports card nerds to be happy about. <laughs> I really so like I the combined quality. I miss I do, it. I do too. Yeah. But uh, for the people just tuning in, the people who are very new, uh. It's probably not the best situation. It, it just leads to more more confusion, hmm. I would say. It, but uh, yeah, I think the bronze qualifying session is very, very good. I, I do enjoy the sessions a lot. Yeah, and the thing that I found most is that it, it enables you to ha- it enables the bronze drivers to show a bit more of their personality, uh, which I really like. And they've got re- great personalities. Oh yeah, de- yeah. definitely. Uh, any last comments on uh, the WC round at Portimao before we uh, move on? I I, I don't think so. I, I, every uh, hypercar was uh, apart from the Toyota up, uh, at the front. Uh, hypercar was fun to watch. LMP2 when it was shown, there was always some sort of battle, and obviously we had the GTEM uh, battle for the lead. Uh, yeah, very good race. Uh, but we have something that we had. There was a race uh, that happened the night before Portimao that we need to discuss, I think. Yes, IMSA competition at Long Beach. The 100-minute race supporting the uh, the IndyCar race at Long Beach. And that was quite something. <laughs> quite something. Um, you know, uh, very competitive at the front. We had the, the traditional GTM bust up in the, in the hairpin. Um, but... 
the last stint of the race, tre- tremendously energized by Ricky Taylor in the GTP Acura, and it was all going so well until it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, it, just just to uh, go uh, reverse a little bit. Uh, I remember it was like it was like ten minutes uh, after the green flag fell. It was, I believe we had a yeah we had a safety car in in the first couple of minutes there. And the, the 31 Action Express car pitted, and uh, everyone's like, why, why are they pitting? Well, I guess they had the, the minimum drive time was already over. Because uh, if you didn't know for IMSA, at least in uh, GTP, uh, there's very, very little minimum drive time because they're all pros. Five minutes. Should, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're all pros. Like, theoretically, there shouldn't be any minimum because they're all good enough on their own that, you know, it doesn't really matter. Anyway. Discussion of that aside, mm. um, they had a weird pit strategy that everyone was kind of confuzzled about that had some intrigue towards you know, the rest of the race. And then uh, towards the middle of the race, we saw the 10 going back. And I was starting to say the 10 just on a massive charge, which led all of us to, I don't think the cameras caught it, but led all of us to believe that they probably had, they put on four fresh new tires. And then towards, uh, what was it, like, like what, three, four minutes left to go, they made a mass, mad dash on the inside of turn one. I believe against was it the six? Yeah, it was and, uh, 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 Jaminet in the car uh, versus Ricky Taylor. Yeah, and Ricky Taylor basically went to the inside, very very deep lunge. The car couldn't get turned in time; it went straight on into the turn one tire barrier. Uh, caution was called, and that ended the race. But wow, the sequence before that—that was—that was quite entertaining. I mean, you had the ten moving up the field. I mean, you had the excitement of Porsche winning their first. Uh, uh, top class prototype race in WEC. Um, it was just uh, for a hundred minutes. That was a very good, uh, very, good very good investment of my time. Yeah, yeah, very good investment of my time. It was it was a quite a quite a charge from Ricky Taylor, and that really energized the second half of the race. Like he came out of the pits behind uh Philip Eng and Augusto Farfus in the the fourth place in the end BMW. So he had to pass two BMWs and two Porsches to win the race. And he very nearly almost did it. Um, I, I think it was just as he dived in, the rears just locked up a little bit and that sent him uh, sent him wide and that was all she wrote. But, you know, you can't you can't fault him for trying, not even a little bit. Exactly. And one thing I want to point out, I vividly remember is like within the last 30 minutes of the race, when John Hindoff was talking about a, a Discord group, he was talking about us. It was us! We finally we finally been accepted by Radio <laughs> Le Mans. We are we are now now legitimate, and they don't hate us anymore. It's wonderful. <laughs> Not that they ever hated us. It's just you know, we we've been legitimized uh, on on all platforms now. Yeah, on all all platforms. Um, what about the GTD race? Now, I'll be honest. For me, GTD just got lost. There was so much focus in the broadcast on. Uh, the GTP, deservedly so, because of what Taylor was doing and how the front battle was playing out. But I don't remember seeing any pass in GTD. I remember seeing a five-car train at one point before the pit stops, and like that was it. Yeah, GTD definitely got lost in the sauce there. I, I can't even remember who, who won the race, if I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I know both classes were there at uh, Long Beach, uh, I believe it might have been up to the top of my head. Okay, it was Lexus who won GTD Pro, and then it was it was a Lexus sweep. Uh, GTD Pro and GTD were both won by the 
uh, Master Sullivan crew. Ooh, uh, uh, that... according to the <laughs> the results, the race official results, it was uh, the Paul Miller Racing Car oh, that won uh, in GTD. My... Brian Sellers and Madison uh, Snow. I, I had the, I had the starting grid pulled up. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, bad luck. Okay, yeah, that that that, that happens. Yep. Yeah, okay, so that that's yeah. Paul Miller Racing. There you go. That makes a lot more sense. I believe this is two years in a row they've won at Long Beach. Um, because I, if I remember correctly, Paul Miller Racing had to wait on a uh, new M4 because they didn't do Daytona last year, and then their very very first race, at least the second race, because I can't remember if they did Sebring or not, they ended up winning. So. Two years in a row for the Paul Miller team. Nice. And then uh, Lexus did win GTD Pro. Yeah. Uh, with... So I got, I got that one right. You got that uh, one right. Yeah, you're, you're, all, you're doing so well for so long. Um, I, I was. I, I do remember there's like one pass. I think it might have been with Corvette and Faf that they caught. Uh, but other than that, yeah, GTD Pro and GTD kind of just got lost in the mix there. Yeah, and it, it was a bit of a shame because, you know, you have such large grids that are all very competitive. But I guess I guess Long Beach is a bit difficult to, to cover in that respect. Um, we also had two cars not take the start, um, the AO Racing and the Racers Edge Motorsports, Porsche and Acura, respectively. Uh, one of them was uh, the, the Dino car, which I heard got crashed out in qualifying. Yeah, so... Uh... The 93 Racer's Edge Motorsports car was heavily got into the wall on that last straight before you get into that section of corners with a hairpin. Uh, But then as they were like kind of panning out, showing that car in the wall, all of a sudden we see the AO racing car just going in at, you know, not massive speed, but definitely kind of uh, more speed than you would like in a yellow area and just went, you know, full, uh, into the wall uh, on a very bad angle. I believe they hit the inside wall first, and that led them to come at that wall at that angle. But yeah, but that basically led to Rexy, which was the AO Racing Porsche, and then that Racer's Edge Motorsport Acura being uh, down down for the count in regards to uh, come race time Saturday. Yeah, and that was uh, that was uh, Phil Hyatt. Phil Hyatt is that his name? Uh, PJ Hyatt, uh, who's yeah. uh, who also had an incident at Spa, which we'll talk about, which is not yeah. great for him. Uh, not not a great run. Now, Chris, I wanted to ask you, uh, Long Beach for IMSA, of course, it is running as a support category to the IndyCar. Um, it gets a hundred minute race on the Saturday. It's obviously it's it's you know quite a big field to try and fit around a two mile course. Um, so they cut out the. Uh, LMP2 cars and the LMP3 cars. Even still, twenty-seven car, uh, twenty, well, yeah, twenty-eight cars. The the ten hype of uh, the ten GTPs. It's what? What do you make of it? Is is Long Beach like suited for IMSA competition? Why is it there? Uh, I mean, history. I mean, it's been there since the early, at least the early two thousands, um, with the Grand Am and then the American Le Mans series, kind of alternating years a little bit there. Uh, and even then, like you said, what was it, 28? Yeah, 28 Indy- on the entry list. Uh, IndyCar has a similar grid. Uh, if it's not 28, it's like a, maybe a couple cars less. So I don't think it's not a grid issue, I don't think. I think the grid we have is perfectly fine. Because um, it's not like, you know, car after car feels like all bunched up. People are causing accidents left and right. So I, I personally think that 
the, the stuff we have right now, I think we're, we're in a good good spot. And, and and plus, having it be a support race for Long Beach, I know uh, out of non-Americans hate the TV talk. Um, I understand it, but you got to understand that IndyCar and IMSA are both covered by NBC, so this lessens any issues of, you know, this basically makes it easier for everybody have everything every at least everyone in the same place for at least one weekend of the year, and uh, and, and also, what else are you gonna fill that Saturday with? Uh, I mean, yeah, there'll be right. all the small categories, but yeah, and yeah, because we had IMSA main IMSA and Porsche Career Cup that weekend. Um, then I think we had Stadium Super Trucks, and then we had like a historic Formula One car. Uh, Either either races or demos. It, it, so a good TV partners in a or b history. C I don't see how or what else you would replace that spot with. Yeah, that's all. All all, all good things. Um, I wonder for for the teams um in maybe in GTD more so than GCP. Um. The, the the worth of running a, a hundred minute la- uh, hundred minute race because like normally the races are two hours forty minutes which actually makes it feels like a bit more of an enduro but like one one stint you're basically getting one stint each in in a two driver lineup so I, I don't know it's it's it seems very short uh, for me but there as you said there's oh. a lot of benefits and thank God they've cleaned their act up because I remember a few years ago it was like a joke it may have even been back when we had LMPC running running at Long Beach as well because like you'd have a one hour 40 minute race and you'd spend one hour 30 minutes under caution because of accidents so at at least they fixed that and and, and another case um their next round it's it's at Laguna Seca so there are so that way you mentioned the comment of well what's the purpose of uh, well, at least the next round they'll they'll still be in the West Coast, so they're not making that trip for a hundred minutes, then going back on the East Coast. Yeah, that's a good point, especially after spending two races in Florida. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any last comments on Long Beach before we jump over the ditch once again? Uh, no, uh, IMSA was great at Long Beach. Next round is at Laguna Seca, May fourteenth. I think that's the date. That's on that Sunday of that weekend. Uh, Mazda MX-5 Cup that weekend, so that's going to be a must-watch. But yeah, uh, I believe uh, L- it's everything but LMP3 is running there. So it should be a fantastic weekend once again. And that'll be basically the, yeah, that'll be the last prototype race before Le Mans. Really? Yeah, you'd be right. You would be right. Because there's no LMS race at Imola now, which means that there's no second round before Le Mans. Hot mm-hmm, damn. Yeah. Speaking of European Le Mans series, they had their opening round last weekend as well. It's it was a glutton of the of racing the last few weeks. So uh, four hours of Barcelona. Barcelona not really the most enthralling track, and I will say for once in my life, I kind of got bored in the middle of a European Le Mans series race. I know, I know, it, but there can't be amazing races through the whole race every single time. You gotta there's something some occasions where it might just be a bit slow in the middle, but. It ended up being a very good race uh, in the last hour, very enthralling race in the last hour, with Chris, a pro-am overall victory. Who needs pro and pro-am? Nah, fam. Racing Team Turkey's just going to win <laughs> overall. Screw your aqua yeah. light, bo- light boxes. Yeah, Eduardo Freitas decided to sp- sprinkle a little dust on, 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 on the race and uh, make it more entertaining because uh, what led to it was Racing Team Turkey was actually quite hand-in-hand 
the class of the field. I mean, they're just passing cars left and right before their pit stops and keeping those positions. And then, uh, toward, I believe after their final pit stop, they got pinged for something going on with their cheese wedge, their legality panel, or or some sort of, of, um, debris flapping on their car. They had to change the rear deck. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So then they had to come in and I can't remember who had, was it the Algarve pro? that they were fighting with duquesne was who they were duquesne, fighting with. Yeah. that's right the 30 with uh neil neil, neil johnny uh i believe closing up duties for that team yeah yeah so they lost the lead to duquesne and then they just went on absolute tear after they went in for their penalty like it, people thought oh this was this is gonna ruin the race for them nope psych it was insane how how the pace was i can't even remember who was, uh, it was who Delatraz. Was it was Louis Delatraz. He was right. a, a menace. He just was firing in laps. He, it was just impossible. Yeah, because you had Sally Ulick, who was a great driver on his own. He was passing pro cars. Then you got Charlie Eastwood in the middle of that stint. He was he was getting past cars. And then, like you said, Delatraz closing things up. Yeah, that, that race was definitely... Um, Helped by a race control decision, but still, the the end result of what we got, a Pro-Am winning overall, which was fantastic. Duquesne still keeps the, still keeps Pro honors, well, consolation prize. Which, but, which yeah, is, like you said. It, which is uh, also, like, anyway. uh, for, for Pro, it's actually, they still get 25 points for the win as well, just as an aside. But anyway, you were mm-hmm. saying. Yeah, and like you said, it, it like, during the middle, it was, it did kind of get stale. Um, like, GTE had some, like, I remember JMW were kind of, and Kessel were kind of going at it, but other than that, it, it did kind of maybe LMP3 had something going on there as well. But you know, like every ELMS, like ELMS race traditions, once they get the first pit stop for LMP3, it's just a hard track mm. that race. And yeah, it, yeah. Luckily, we had that. Uh, what a increased activity! Yeah, luckily we had that finish. But yeah, Barcelona, even with the chicane taken out. Uh, I guess what wasn't exactly the great. If you have the, basically, if you haven't watched the race, I think me and Flood would probably agree that the fifty-two minute highlights would be enough. I I'd say watch the first lap, uh, then watch the last uh, hour and twenty minutes, so the last eighty minutes. I reckon that that would be the way to do it, because the last hour and a half would was just unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Chris, a little quiz question for you. Oh. Sally Yolok is now one of three bronze drivers to win an LMP2 race overall. Who are the other two? Oh, great. Uh, for LMP2 race overall, eh? Bronze drivers. They, they have to be bronze. Uh, let's take a look here. Oh, God. I'm, my mind's not as sharp as it used to be. Uh, I, I'm going to need some hints. Give me some hints. Uh, so one of them was racing in the Barcelona race. One of them was racing in the... Hmm. Let's see. Has to be bronze. And this was... So the, the one that was racing in the Barcelona race won a European Le Mans Series race. The other one won a WEC race. Okay. Uh, is I'm surprised. I'm surprised you're struggling with this. Francois Perotto? Nope. Hmm. Okay, one more final hint. One more final hint. Um, or 
Uh, I can't give it away. Um, one of them's a meme, the other one's raced in LMP1. Oh, one of them's a meme? Is it, uh, Mamo Rojas? No! Oh, <laughs> no! What? Oh, um... Hold on. So, right, I'm, I'm gonna put you out of your misery. I'm sorry, Chris. I thought you, I thought you were gonna get it. I thought you were gonna smash it out. So, one of them's Heinrich Hedman. Uh, he, I oh, believe he won oh, at, yeah. off the back of Ben Hanley and Nicolas Lapierre. I think it was the 2015 um, uh, 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 Portuguese Mora? round, but it wasn't at Algarve. Oh, no. Estoril. Oh, Estoril. Yeah. And then the other one was very famously Fuji uh, Racing Team Netherlands Fritz van Erd. Oh, I can't believe oh. Chris, I'm kind of disappointed in you. <laughs> I gotta be real. I, I, I probably would have not guessed that. Really? Ah, oh. mate. Nah. Anything <laughs> like early, early ELMS, like those days, sir. My mind's fried. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but racing team Devlin, Fritz Van. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, oh, that's fine. It's fine. Um, uh, well, uh, he's a criminal now, so. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he is too. <laughs> hmm. Let's just completely gloss over. Uh, alleged, alleged, alleged. Alleged, alleged. Yeah. Um, you said LMP3 was really hard to keep track of. I felt that as well. But Cool Racing ended up taking the win because of a a penalty to the racing spirit of Lamar uh, machine that crossed the line first. They got a a, a post race drive through penalty for some reason. Um, I think a pit stop infringement. Something along those lines. Yeah. At, like- I know racing a spirit of mob was kind of going up through the field. They had had great pace. Um, if you don't, if if you guys don't know where they came from, because this is their first year in ELS, they raced in Michelin Cup last year. Ah, with cool. Some, yes, they also raced uh, GT4 cars with Astons. So that's that's where they came from. If you get, uh, but yeah, uh, even, even then with the penalty, they I think they have a result they could be proud of. They showed that they have some great pace, some great. Uh, some great drivers behind that car. Oh uh, yeah, next round is uh, three months from now. Yeah, three months from now at Paul Ricard. So we're and I believe Racing Spirit of Loma might have won there last year in Michigan Loma Cup. So they got some uh, things to prove. Cool. Um. Yeah. So to to clarify, they picked up a penalty because they completed one of their compulsory timed pit stops under full course yellow. So in uh, L- in LMP3, each car must do two pit stops of 105 seconds, um, which is like they work the strategy around that, which means that they get one free pit stop. But they did one of their pit stops, their timed pit stops under full course yellow, which is against the regulations. So they co- they copped a uh, 105 second penalty, um, which yeah dropped them from first in class to third in class, which like it's still a podium. Like I wouldn't be mad about that. It's a shame, but it's still a podium. Oh, that's so. That's still a very good result this season that they can easily work from. Duquesne mm. um, racing. We talked about racing in Turkey and Duquesne. AF Corsa picked up third position. Uh, another LMP2 Pro Am car, and in fact, Cool Racing, the number thirty-seven LMP2 Am car, finished fourth. So you had four LMP2 Am, uh, three LMP2 Am cars rather in the top four, which is kind of exciting. Um, GTE uh, Proton Competition took the win. Uh, Ryan Hardwick, Zachary Robichon, and Andrea Picariello. Uh, ahead of Formula Racing and JMW Motorsport. Notably, though, uh, one of the cars that we expected to be in that mix uh, for uh, 
GTE, uh, Proton Competition car, and you could argue as well the TF Sport car and uh, the GMB Motorsport car, uh, taken out on the first lap in a in a collision with an LMP3 car, uh, the WTM by Rinaldi Racing car, the only Duquesne in the field. Uh, what did you make of that incident, Chris? The first lap incident. Yeah, it was really a lot to keep track of because I, like I, immediately when you said that, like for some reason my brain kept because ML uh, Michelin Cup had a uh, first lap incident as well that was chaotic. But yeah, yeah, it, it was it was a shame. Uh, I because you never want to see that, especially because the safety car I believe was pretty long mm. in the beginning of the race. Um, yeah, it's just don't want to see that happening, don't you? Don't you? Yeah, and it, and it must be difficult for the GT cars to come across a prototype that's spun in the middle of the track like that, because especially in the middle of turn three, because you're already on the peak load, you know, cold tires, because you've not got tire warmers anymore. Um, you're coming across a car and you're at peak load in the middle of turn three, and you don't really have anywhere to go. Like, I think Christian Reed, he was basically like, had to turn out of the corner and still got collected and like launched his rear into the air. So it's it's one of those difficult ones. It must it must suck uh, to to be in that position. Um, uh, yeah, especially when there's a spin further up the field. Um, I do want to give a shout out though to uh, Proton Competition, the number ninety three, um, Michael Fassbender. He's pr- probably his best race so far. Um, unfortunate that uh, that car got turned around by an LMP three car as well. But Fassbender, he's. He's coming a long way since he, uh, since he first started. Yeah, I, I can't remember how long it's been. This was third, fourth year now. I think it's his th- third season in LMS. Yeah, and last year he showed some improvements. He still got, um, yeah. Uh, hopefully, I think this will be great for people all around because uh, people know the Fast Bender name. He's been in some high profile movies. Like it's kind of like the Patrick Dempsey thing, where like. You know, like, hey, you know, if my if like if I have friends or family watching something and neither one of them turns up in a show or movie, I'm like, hey, you know, he races sports cars, <laughs> <laughs> and, and the fact that if they do, uh, if the results are good for them, that just you know makes it better overall because then they can see, oh, he's actually good instead of like, oh, he does this and he's you know crashes or you know blocking yeah. around the back of the back. Yeah. I actually uh, had a, a girlfriend back in back when Patrick Dempsey was driving, who was obsessed with Grey's Anatomy. And so when I said, "Hey, you know Patrick Dempsey races in this," and she's like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god!" So I actually got her to watch an LMS race or two simply simply because of Patrick Dempsey. So you know, <laughs> gets the girls into it. Apparently, <laughs> if, it, if it works, it works. It works exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah, the. LMS race. I, I wish. I wish LMS went, went to cooler tracks. It's a shame that they're not going to Imola, um, and that's a whole nother story uh, in itself. Um, but I, I'm kind of excited to see them go to Algarve uh, for for the double header. But I wish. I wish they could. I wish they didn't go to Barcelona. I wish they didn't go to Barcelona. It's just not. <sighs> I wish. Yeah, especially if they already see. This is just purely me. I know maybe it doesn't really a lot. Uh, align with the realities of things but the dream situation for me is to have each race only or have each round or each country only get one race because right now uh elms has two in spain yeah which with with, with aragon and i would rather have aragon because that's going to be a night race that's going to be fun 
especially the teams all test there anyway. So it, it, I mean, it makes sense to finally bring it, bring a race to them. Anyway, yeah, Barcelona, Barcelona, that could probably get scrapped. Although it looks like uh, we had a member of the Discord uh, BCN go there, and uh, looks like it was still decent attendance for an ELMS round. But yeah, if they're already going to Aragon, they can get out of there, get out of Spain, especially especially since they're also doing Portugal as well. That's two rounds in the same region. They're doing they're doing Portugal twice because of the um, yeah. yeah the the whole thing with Imola, which is a shame. And and and, and uh, ju- judging by the leaked twenty twenty four calendar, I but before the before the twenty four calendar was really speculated on, I was like, well, if WEC is already going to Portimao. I really wish ELMS went to Estero because I, I want to see two. I want basically more tracks. I don't. Yeah, more, more, more tracks being used, more variety, and the ACOs kind of play. Yeah, because so, like, yeah, that's a, like yeah. we we haven't seen the ELMS go back to like uh, uh, Red Bull Ring, which was amazing. Um, or, or I mean, Silverstone. There's plenty of reasons why Silverstone isn't happening anymore. But like, yeah, Silver, uh, Silverstone, Red Bull Ring, um, Paul Ricard. We, we know, we, yeah, we're going there. Um, Spa, of course, Estoril. Like, give us, give us more variety. Give us more tracks. <laughs> Want to see yeah, more which tracks? That's why, like, that's why I know people don't. Uh, even even I'm in the in the opinion of that Imola can be quite mid for car racing because sometimes it can be very hard to pass. Mm. But like, if I had the option of hey. ELMS to Imola or Monza, I would immediately take Imola because it's a different track than what the WEC uses. Mm, exactly. Um, and like, I think even back in the day, they used to go to Hungaro Ring and Brno. Like, can you imagine ELMS around Brno? That's like one of my favorite circuits. That is my favorite circuit. Like, that would make me so happy. If one can help, uh, Last time I checked, Bruno's not in a very good state financially, unfortunately. No. Although they, they last year they did host like you know regional races, like Central European Zone stuff. So it still runs races, just not high profile that people care about. Ah, uh, yeah, that's it. Makes me sad. Um, so yeah, the next race for ELMS isn't until post Le Mans, which is a long time away. Is what did you say it was three months away? Uh, it's mid-July with Paul Ricard. Oh, it's the day before my birthday. Sick. So uh, that'll be fun. Um, at yeah, at Paul Ricard, which which actually consistently turns on good racing for your for European Le Mans series. Don't miss that. That'll be that'll be very very good. Sixteenth uh, of July is that one. Uh, but Chris, let's leave that for the moment and let's talk about uh what happened uh yesterday in the WEC. So I missed qualifying i i miss qualifying entirely so i've only seen headlines today about what's what's going on firstly i've seen that the number 56 car the project one car has once again not managed to get onto the grid for spa francochamps after crashing it ready on last year because it crashed already on again this year um which is not ideal uh what happened there uh i think it, it, you just did this got loose coming out come off of your rouge and Radeon. that that's really all it was i mean they got a little bit loose, and then the car just took over from there. I mean, you can literally see on the replay where they're going onto the runoff into the tire barrier. Like the car generally wanted to lift off. Uh, you can see where the car was generally like it was going, trying to move up. So yeah, unfortunate, unfortunate accident. That was pretty much middle of GTE qualifying, um, where that t- took place. 
And then, uh, like we, like you said, we got the news after qualifying that uh, the car was unfortunately withdrawn. Which is a real shame because you never want to see, especially AM drivers, paying drivers, uh, not make the grid like that. So that's that's a real shame um, for them. Now there was quite a bit of of discussion post qualifying. I saw um, about a uh, about track limits. Uh, why was that, Chris? Can you read me in as to why people were talking about track limits like it's not a new thing? Right. Uh, yeah. So when qual- qualifying for hypercar was very exciting because um, we had like Cadillac and Porsche and Ferrari. They're all battling in the mix, and you know Toyota came in and set the fast lap, and people were like, oh, here comes Toyota to ruin it all. And then Ferrari, just a very very fast sector three with Giovinazzi behind the wheel, just shocked the world and took it on pole. And then after everyone was all hyped up and, you know, they're doing the celebrations, all of a sudden the timing screen changed where, wait, Toyota's back on top. And in the end, they deleted that lap from the 51 because they went over the white line, which uh, judging from the replay, because it showed a replay of the Ferrari going wide over the white lines, all four wheels off of it. Uh, into the gravel after Lacombe, the section of corners at Lacombe. Ah. And so then then that when that happened, people were like, oh, well, rules are rules. I mean, yeah, they, he might have not gained an advantage because that was also one of the main points of contention. Was like, well, he didn't get an advantage. Didn't get an advantage. Why, why did they take away that lap? Well, because it's, rules are rules. Them's, I mean, them's the rules, yeah. Yeah, a white line is a white line. It doesn't matter if they gain advantage or not. Like, they have to consistently enforce it. Because if they don't, because if they, if they let it slide, then, well, you're opening up Pandora's box. Yeah, if they, gonna... if they let it slide, you get uh, IMSA GT Lamar at freaking Coda that one year where they're just like, we're not going to enforce track limits, and then just everyone took the piece. Or or people just, you know, they try to t- get more liberties mm. or take more liberties involved with track limits. Where, where they could point to the situation, well, how come you let this slide? So, yeah. Shitty, uh, shitty situation. I mean, I understand people wanted to see Ferrari on pole you know, instead of, you know, Toyota. But look at it this way. Only one Toyota is up front. The rest is, the, the other one's starting way in the back. Well, I did see that. I forgot to mention. Yeah, Toyota crashed. Uh, the yeah. crashed. What? Um, leading to another debate. Um, about tire warmers because basically it was coming off of pit road and like it wasn't even going that fast and it just snapped uh, right after they came across the hill. Um, and that led to a huge debate where like, well, you know, maybe it's time to take a look at tire warmers again. Because this is, this is actually the second time that a incident revol- involving a, the case where it might have not happened that they had tire warmers because I don't know if you've heard about this, but in FP2, there was a crash again on Radeon where the number 21 car was going, was on a, uh, was on a flyer and the 54 was coming out of the pits. Yes, I did hear about and this. There's, and there's white flags, you know, saying, hey, there's a slow car coming out of the pits. And the, and basically the 20, uh, 21 had to go cut across the inside of the corner to avoid the car, but it still ends up being, basically wasn't enough because it tagged the tagged the car with this right uh, right rear quarter uh, quarter panel and sent both cars to the wall. The 21 was still being rebuilt. Uh, they had a new chassis for that car during qualifying. So that car did not set a lap. Yeah. 54, I believe, 
got the car fixed in time to make a lap. So yes. no, none of those cars are withdrawn. But yeah, they, that's kind of the story of the weekend. Oh, uh, also in practice, uh, number three Cadillac. That's the IMSA car. That's the yellow uh, livery. Uh, that's battery caught fire. And huh, okay. Porsche, Porsche, the Porsches were having, you know, they're, they're being stopped, start all over. So that's the story of the weekend so far. And that leads to today, which we had just had a Porsche Carrera Cup Deutschland support race going on right now. I was watching it as we were discussing. And it is uh, foggy and wet. So take that as you will. Nice. I love a wet spa. Um, few, a few notes. I'm looking at the qualifying list now. It's a bit Noah's Ark at the top, but I see that the Hertz Team Jota car, the number 38, the new 963, the new Porsche 963, the first customer hypercar, um, has done a better job than one of the actual Porsche cars, uh, setting a 202.9 versus the number five Dan Cameron Christensen uh, Frederick Makovecki car, 2036. So that's a pretty big scalp to get in your first qualifying session from Jota Sport. Like, hot damn, well done. Yeah, and, you know, being a customer team, people will say, well, they probably got, you know, advice or, you know, experience from the Porsche team itself. But still, you still gonna do it. Team, they, they just rolled that car off the, off the trailer. Like, they didn't do any, like, long-term testing for that team. Like, they just like, well, we're just going to do testing during the race. And so far, it's paying off. They're not doing that bad. So I wonder I wonder if this is because Joda are a race team uh, and they've got that advantage. Mm. So, like, of course, Porsche Penske is a race team. No, don't get me wrong. But they've been a test team for the last, you know, year and a half through that program. And a, a lot of the guys, I think I, the, 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 the thing in Sebring was a lot of the guys uh, who were working on the cars and in the pit, lot, uh, pit stops were employed for the first time that weekend. So uh, I wonder if this is a consequence of Jota being a race team with like race ready experience that that's put them at that point in the in the qualifying. Potentially, and from what it looks like, it's the Porsche itself. It's a, it's a decent enough car, uh, especially when they had the advantage of all the trials and tribulations the W the Penske team had to go through the past couple of races. So they t- they take the lessons from that, and they were able to like okay, we can learn, we can you know. Do that. Learn from that without you know going through the mistakes. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's why they can get uh, a, a, a good showing uh, right off the bat. And I wonder as well uh, whether or not this is going to accelerate Porsche's rise through the field because if they've got uh, Jota as a customer, and then if they get Proton as a customer, and they get that car delivered and they get that racing, all of a sudden they have twice as much data than any of the other teams. So, uh, you know, is that going to accelerate their development cycle? Is that going to accelerate their experience? Is that going to accelerate their pace to see them at the top of the field quicker than the likes of, say, Acura or BMW or uh, or Cadillac, who are still working on delivering or gaining customers even, let alone delivering cars? They don't even have any customers at this point. Yeah, I, I don't know. Potentially. and But there is one thing I wanted to point out from this weekend. Because a lot of people... There's a lot of hype, maybe some copian involved, but I was looking because Spa is usually seen as the warm-up for Le Mans because they have the long straight. You know, you're generally on the gas more. So it's it's a good, uh, not a tit-for-tat preview of Le Mans, but kind of like a good setup for it. I'm looking at the the top speeds that were made over the weekend because Le Mans top speed is pretty much everything. Look, I'm looking at Ferraris. Ferraris are... About three miles per hour, not miles per hour, kilometers per hour faster 
than the next car over, which would be a Cadillac. And Cadillac is tit for tat with Toyota. If that's the if if, if, if what we're seeing, and then this is oh this is from qualifying, hmm. so so it's not just you know reading practice times. It's from qualifying itself, or throughout the entire weekend. If this is a preview of what's to come for Lamar, the people who are saying oh Toyota are just gonna you know easy win for Toyota, oh they're gonna be so wrong. <laughs> it's certainly very exciting when you look at it that way, isn't it? Yeah, because when you Lamont, like you're on the gas for like what half lap? Because you got the most on. Pretty much, yeah. And then, and so that's just so yeah three eight three eighteen point seven kilometers per hour for the fastest Ferrari, three fifteen point nine for Cadillac and Toyota, and then Porsche wasn't far off with a three fifteen, and Peugeot was there as well. They just need to fix, you know. Their they overall can't. pace. What? Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> um, Reliability is fine. The pace is not there. Yeah, but yeah, like if what we're looking at right now, we might be in for a very exciting Le Mans. But you know, well, who knows? Hashtag wait and see. Wait and see. A um, few other things from qualifying I just want to touch on first. Uh, United Autosports take pole again in LMP2 ahead of Team WRT and Premier Racing. So like the the three. Like huge teams in LMP2 really showing everyone what's what. Um, and is it like, okay, Chris, are my eyes deceiving me or was uh, Ahmed Al Hati two seconds a lap faster than Sarah Bovi? Or am I just making that up? That's ridiculous. Uh, oh, yeah, your eyes aren't deceiving. He was very fast all day. Uh, it was just insane because you saw the times roll in. It was like, wait, that, that, that can't be right. He, he was. He made a fastest lap time that he went and go went ahead and did two tenths better. Like he was just mad, and and the Aspens did get a little BOP break because the last first two rounds they were a little bit behind on BOP. Um, they weren't that competitive, but even even with the BOP break that they have, that's still mad. Like that's that's two seconds. That's two seconds over Sarabovi. That's that's huge. Like like that that's that's. Almost unheard of. I kind of wanted to yell BOP, but that's just that's not fun. Uh, so that like if that if that puts the Aston Martin in a good position, uh, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with in the early part of the race ahead of the Iron Dames and Pro Competition. Uh, ben Keating only in fourth. What is this? Get it together, Ben. Yeah, that red mid uh, mid session red flag really kind of messed things up for a lot of people. Yeah. Um. So it kind of mix, mixed up the order a little bit, which should provide a fascinating race. I mean. Keating and Keating is always going to be that that Corvette crew. I mean, they're top notch guys. They're always going to be competitive, even with the the weight balance that they had with the new BOP. Mm. I mean, Aston Martin's now up there now. Proton's up there. Iron Dames and Sec. It's going to be a fascinating uh, race for GTE. When you're watching, definitely have your live timing up for it. That's going to be a fascinating one to keep track of. Cool. Last few things before we 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 give it all away. Uh, firstly, uh. Paul Dallalana announced during the week that he was retiring from motorsport immediately. Uh, after the, the race at, uh, at Portimao, um, he decided that effectively he did not have the energy or the commitment to be able to run both Northwest and, uh, and compete at the highest level in WC, in GTM and race. Um, so he decided to, to call it quits. Uh, which is which is sad. Um, I 
I, I, I quite liked Paul as a driver. He was probably one of my favorite Rods drivers for a long time. And yeah, that's, that's, that's really sad to see him give it, give it all away. But like, of course, you know, he's been involved in like literal eight figure, uh, business deals in the last week through Northwest. So, you know, he, he's working hard at that. Um, but yeah, Chris, uh, your thoughts on Paul Dallana's career as a, as a Aston Martin GTM driver? Yeah, I mean, he's been racing ever since I really started watching. Like, it's insane how you look back. He's been there since the start of the WEC. You know, he's been in big IMSA races. Pretty much, if you name a sports car race, he might have probably already done it. Um, and, and just especially with Aston, too, what, such a loyal uh, guy to the brand. Uh, you know, I believe he, they might have did a, like, a Ferrari or Porsche or something. There was one Rolex twenty four where they didn't do an Aston, but he was in still, a Ferrari. I mean, he was in a Ferrari one year, and then like mm. three weeks later, he was in an Audi at Bathurst, like that same year, um, because I think that was in between the Aston Martin GT uh, mm. three changeover, so they didn't really have an applicable car. Um, but yeah, right. he's been WC. It's all Aston. Yeah, so it, it's really when you have something that's you know. What's the correct word for it? Something that's regularly been there since it's something you can, you can rely on. Like, okay, this is you know, it's all reliable. Having yeah, all reliable. Just having that not there anymore. It it, it really like just not seeing Delalana on the timing sheets this weekend was kind of like, like wow, it's he you know he's, he's not here anymore. He's gone. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think we had a very good trade off because. The car's not gone. It's being replaced by Heart of Racing. Yeah. Which is a definitely a very good group of guys. Uh, Heart of Racing does things with, I believe, the Seattle's Children's Hospital. They do, like, charities and stuff for that. And then uh, it's also owned, or at least funded by, uh, if you, uh, in meme terms, Gavin from oh, Steam. Um, like, yeah. you know, Gray Newell, which is either his son or his nephew. Or his, anyway, it's... Younger younger family of Gabe races GT4s and GT4 America with Heart of Racing. They're actually racing this weekend at, at, at NOLA uh, with GT4 America. So double double programs there, WC and uh, SRO America. Uh, but yeah, Heart of Racing, very good guys, competitors, and winners in IMSA racing. I think this is going to be a very, very well great, uh, uh, well-mannered addition to the grid. Because I, 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 when... The, the announcement happened when Dalana was stepping down. I thought it was like ending like the end of this year. Mm. Like, oh, okay, no, that's cool. immediate. See them. Yeah, it's as immediate. So we're seeing Heart of Racing at Le Mans, which that, yeah. that gets a lot of IMSA fans, especially mine, you know, especially me. That's going to be exciting to see. And hopefully they get a good result for that. Although there is one caveat. Uh, we they're, still called North, that the, they're still called Northwest. Yeah. Because of the no, way that IMSA does, uh, IMSA, WEC does its entry rules, they still have to be called Northwest. Yep. yep. Basically, the rule is once once you have your name, you you can't change it. Yeah. And my theory is is that they couldn't just change it, even even such as like this scenario, where the like the reason for the team name is gone. The reason they couldn't change it because if they change it, technically, they might have to give up that Lamas spot. They might have to move it up to the next reserve spot. Yeah, that that's that's my theory on why they couldn't re, just rename the car because I believe Spirit of Race is first up on the reserve. If they had a rename, Spirit of Race could be like, well, technically they dropped out. 
mm. we should but, be on that list. And, and, and as well, it kind of goes to show, like, the the whole, like, I'm going to use this word. I don't believe this is the correct word, and don't take it with the negative connotation, but, like, it's the kind of elitism of ACO racing, is that, like, you have to be invited to, to be a part of it. And, like, that means that if you change your entry, you are no longer invited. So, I, I, I you know, I, I remember it was, I think it was 2015, where you had the Saad Morand LMP2 team, where they made the entry, and then one half of it, I think it was the Morand half, like, pulled all the funding, but because they'd made that entry as Saad Moran, they had to run the whole season mm-hmm. as Saad. No, it was the Saad half that pulled the entry, because after that, it was RGR Moran. So, yeah, Saad just, like, pulled all their money and funding, but they were still called Saad Moran for the whole season. So, um, it is it is just one of those little things about ACO racing that it is just a little bit invitational. Um, but no, it's good. It's good to see uh, them get that chance, uh, and good to see that entry continue. Um, it is just a shame that Galana never got that Lamar win. Um, I I think uh, everyone uh, who has been watching WC for a long a long time would have loved to see him get a win at Lamar after the unfortunate events, um, which led to him uh, crashing out at the end of uh, the 2015 race while leading, while comfortably leading. Um, uh, I think I think everyone uh, and his luck since would would have liked that to change, but it was unfortunate. Um, and it's sad that he's no longer gonna gonna be racing uh with the WEC. But all the best to Paul Delano, and hopefully we see him behind the the seat of something uh in the future because I think uh he's a great loss to to motorsport uh for him to to not be driving anything. Um, so so yeah. Uh, other news, Chris. Uh, we've seen now Le Mans uh liveries special liveries for Peugeot and for Porsche. Uh, the Peugeot livery uh, is quite... Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like the Hypno car from a few years ago, except it was with a white base instead of a black base. I think it looks sick. Um, got this cool geometric like graph pattern um, with these interlocking colours over the top of it. It's going to look like a like a vomit on wheels uh, in the best way possible. <laughs> um, what, what, about, what are your thoughts on the, on the Peugeot to start with? It looked like trash. I'm gonna be honest. What? First, no. Well, the from the first couple screen grabs of it, like I was like, oh, it looks unique. I don't personally, like I, I, I personally wouldn't, you know, whatever. But I mean, it's gonna be unique, which is all that matters. But then some new pictures came out, which absolutely did it justice. Like the first pictures, if you saw, where it's kind of it was like a darker, like it was like a showroom sort of thing. It did not. It did not do that livery justice. There's the, the um, more uh, pictures on Instagram where it had like a white background, like a white background that showed the car without you know all the lighting tricks. It, it, it looks yeah, it's a very good looking car. I I am excited to see it on the grid. It should be easy, e- definitely easy to point out. Yeah, you're not gonna miss it, are you? <laughs> it's it's very much like the old um the hypno car, the uh, the Aston Martin from a few years ago, which just was like splashes of color everywhere and it, it was yeah it, it's going to look it's going to be very very good to look at on track um we did just see this morning for me um i think yesterday at spa francochamps um the release of the porsche Le Mans livery um which is a series of uh swooping colors from the front uh little bonnet grill all the way over the back half of the chassis um I have mixed feelings about this one, Chris. Uh, what are your thoughts on the new the Porsche livery uh, for Le Mans on the 963? 
I I don't care for it. I I know we actually had some guy at the track in in the Discord where right after the qualifying session he was working walking around the paddock and they had the the car, but the tarp was lifted up a little bit so he was able to get a sneak preview. It's like oh he snapped a couple pictures and it looked hype. It looked tight from the from the sneak preview, but then when the full thing came that came to roost, it was like I, I think I think the uh, thing was that each individual color was like a thing from their history. Yeah, but, but I they would have just been better off with picking one specific one and just doing that. To, to be honest, because I I don't particularly care for it. Yeah, I I agree. I think they tried to tribute too many things and did a mess of it. Um, because uh, each of the the colors that they chose don't really have the associated colors that go with it that make it look so good. Um, mm-hmm. so like for example, um, uh, I'm gonna chuck the image in our live chat here. Um, so the the colors are, if I can remember correctly, um, the orange is meant to be the golf racing orange, but it's next to the pink of the pink pig which is next to the green of the Psychedelic 917, which, remember, that base color was purple with the green flashes, so it's got the green there. It's got the light blue of the Martini livery, um, but then it's got that next to the kind of dark blue violet of the Rothmans car, um, and then it's got the red of the Salzburg 917, the first 917 to win Le Mans, and then in the center, it's got the yellow from, I believe it's the DHL Porsche Spider. To, to call back to 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 um to Porsche ALMS yeah, yeah to that, ALMS that, or or it might be the yellow from the the um the Sunoco livery, uh, but it's like, uh, like you know trying to have the trying to have the golf racing orange not next to the kind of baby electric blue it just kind of looks out of place and I think that's the the thing that I'm taking away from this livery is that everything looks just kind of out of place. Um, hopefully it looks better on track, but. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. They once again, they probably would have just been better off by you know using uh, stuff from their GTE playbook, where each individual car had like their own specific throwback. You know, so I, I think that would have been much better received. But yeah, I mean, I don't want you know piss and moan too much because we're finally seeing special liveries come back at Lamar. This is true. So I, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with that. I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna take that win. Uh, there, there could be improvements, but I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that one for now. Well, like, uh, the, the thing is, like, there's, there's, there's three cars. So they could have got a, a tribute to three different eras. They could have right. done like, they could have done a 917 livery. They could have done Salzburg livery. They could have done the, uh, the Rothmans Porsche livery, and they could have done the nine, uh, the, sorry, the 911 GT1. Like, or you know, it's just like they didn't have to complicate it so much. Ah, Porsche, please. <laughs> Oh well. Oh well. It's still a 963, so I'm still going to love it. <laughs> yeah, that's all that we can really hope for. Yeah, and hope that they do well as well. Um, Chris, I believe that's the end of the show. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a quick show because we got to get this thing wrapped up for Green Flag, which is about yeesh, uh, two and a half hours to two hours, 45 minutes from now. Yeah. Um, so, so we've given yeah. you enough time to speed run it, guys. We've given you enough time to speed run this episode. So make sure you you, you listen to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Even then, hopefully you'll still find some enjoyment of this podcast. Uh, 
Nurburgring 24 is coming up. Me and Cookie will have to come down and sit down with a plan for that. All the track running of for the Nordschleife has been done. Once an entry list has been uh, officially revealed for the Nurburgring 24, we, me and Cookie will sit down and get you guys an episode for that. Especially another episode of Final Stint uh, will be in the works too. Yep. Um, Chris and, and I, then, are, uh, Chris and I are doing from the grandstand on Monday, which will be good. Um, talking V8 Supercast, which is currently on now, and also whatever other sport takes a fancy. Um, so keep an ear out for that, and we should have another episode coming shortly uh, after, well, after the Spa Francorchamps race, uh, and then hopefully before IMSA, so we can talk a bit about Spa and then talk about the big build-up lead-up to Le Mans. So it's all happening. It's going to be the centenary. It's so close already. It's Ah! <laughs> Gosh. So soon, Chris. So soon. I don't want to melt your brain blood, but we got Nürburgring 24, May 18th or 20th. Yeah. Lama the next month after. Then, like, like two weeks after. Like, for that, that for first week of July. First weekend of July. 24 hours of spa. Mental. Hopefully get your vacation time books, lad. Hope have your vacation time book. Oh, mate, it's it's going to be absolutely mental. Uh, yeah, so strap in, everyone. It's going to be a wild few months. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you for getting up absurdly early in order to get this one one done. Yeah, uh, I was up for supercars anyway. Uh, definitely not for WEC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, no problem at all. It's been it, this was necessitated. I mean, we had a very we have a very exciting race at Spa. I would wager. Potentially an all-time classic coming up. It should be a very, very fun day. Chris, don't say that. You know why? Because I'm gonna, I'm, I'm missing, I'm missing this race. I'm gonna go to bed. Uh, oh no! I'm, I'm in a wedding. I'm a groomsman in a wedding tomorrow, so I can't stay up and watch the race. I need to be like an hour away from my house at nine in the morning. So I can't, I, I can't do that to my friends. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh well. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Uh, enjoy the race today. Uh, hopefully, you managed to have a listen to this before the race happens. If not, then uh, enjoy listening to this after the race, and we'll have a race wrap-up coming very shortly. Uh, once again, I've been Michael Zalavari. Peace out! <laughs>